welcome to another edition of The Swamp. Yep, swapping it again with Rui and Ross. On another lazy Sunday afternoon. Yep, we are indeed. Uh, and it's going to be a, a pretty musical episode, this one. Ah, uh, what, what goodies have you got for us today, Russ? Well, it's all about Joe South. Do you, jo- have, uh, you, you ever heard of him? I, had, I know he had a bit of a connection to Linda Ronstadt. That I, well, I grew she, up with a lot of Linda. She did a song. She did one of his songs, and brilliantly, I knew yeah. you when. Uh, yes, but but yes, he had yes. a career before Linda Ronstadt as a songwriter, right. singer, guitarist. Um, he played He played on a, on Bob Dylan's um, um, Blonde on Blonde album. Right. Yeah, yeah. He was one of those yeah, yeah, yeah. unnamed musicians. An unnamed genius, a Basically. musical genius. But yeah, well, he wrote a song called Games People Play, which won two, two, oh. not one, but two Grammy Awards. And, and that song was based, well, apparently inspired by a book called Games People, People Play. Play, which we've talked about before, I think, on the on the Swamp Rush. No, we haven't yeah. talked about it on the Swamp. Okay, we haven't. But we're about <laughs> to talk about it on the Swamp. Yeah. Well, like, that's, you know, yeah. that's right. So yeah. it's going to be all about the games people play, and they, they play a lot of them. So we'll talk about the book. We're going to talk about Joe and Joe fits nicely into the swamp theme because he his music music is often labelled as swamp rock swamp rock yeah yeah, yeah. Well, he's one of those sort of bayou boys in fact he's yeah, the original yeah, yeah. one I think from Georgia um you know, along with kind Tony Joe White and even you know Credence, even though they're not a they're not a authentically swamp rock, um, they're yeah, West Coast, yeah. but um, certainly John Fogerty was yeah, it's inspired got that kind by of deep South, the you know, bluesy sort of sound. That's right, yeah, born yeah. the it's, it's swamp yeah. rock, man. It's and swamp so rock. Right. It's about time, I think. We we got into some Joe South and swamp rock here on the swamp. So, so let's chill with some swamp rock on the swamp. It's going to be a good shoot. Okay, let's get into it. back but uh, it's just me this time uh, Rui has actually gone for a smoke or something he's out of the way anyway so he's leaving me alone to have this chat with you about the book I mentioned in the intro the book was Games People Play by Eric Byrne now Games People Play uh, that, that's a title you may be familiar with um, it's actually the title of a song a pretty well known song from the 1960s, written by a fellow called Joe South. It was, in fact, a Grammy Award-winning song, um, very well-known, covered by lots of people. And um, he actually, apparently, at least, did uh, did take the song title from this book, which was a very popular, I guess, pop psychology tome of the 1960s. It came out about 1964. Um, it's actually been cited as one of the, the biggest-selling non-fiction books of the 60s. And, and also you could describe it as one of the very first of those strange genre uh, type novel type books called self-help books they don't uh, hold that against it 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 uh, doesn't have any sort of language you'd find in a normal self-help book no actualizing people's potential and all that sort of crap um eric byrne um is sort of working he's sort of a a pioneer in this and so he's actually simply talking about um ways um in our own social transactions um, we can we can communicate better basically or we can at least identify problems that we may have and that's part of the idea behind uh, this book um, it was very popular as I said um, and there are good reasons for, for its popularity really and for why you know it was so popular that a well-known songwriter wrote a song about it because um, there's quite a bit of wisdom in here really lots of sort of homespun wisdom pop psychology wisdom um i wouldn't exactly call describe it as very scientific i mean i know Byrne is a man who's a bit of a a maverick in 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 the the psychiatric community for his theories though um what he has to say is is pretty useful though he does it does pose some problems in trying to describe what his game theory is all about it begins with a, a concept called transactional game 
analysis, um, but um, don't be scared, don't be scared. Um, it's, it, he actually compares it to another type of game analysis called uh, mathematic, mathematical game theory. He even describes it as a sister theory or sister science, but it's dealing obviously with people and the way people relate to each other in their everyday transactions. And there's a little bit of sort of... Um, that old man Freud in, in some of his theories um, he talks about what, what he calls ego states that's kind of where he begins with this idea of game theory um, and I don't want to go on too much about it but um, basically ego states that, that Byrne talks about are parent, adult and child um, you may find that familiar to um, Freud's own um, concepts of super ego, ego and id Obviously, with um, the parent ego state of Burns sort of equating to the super ego, very much the parent, the inner cop, um, the one that makes the rules, that follows the rules and dispenses the rules, um, adult being ego, um, sort of making sense of the world in, in, a, in a common sense way and distilling it all into some sort of whole, you might say. And then, of course, the child being uh, the id, um, looking at the world from a very childlike perspective, and um, moving on to on from there to the way these applied it in our everyday life. I mean, basically, what he's saying is that um, in, in, in any sort of day to day situation, we are calling upon one of those ego states. Sometimes, you know, we may be a real adult speaking to our child, and sometimes we tell Johnny, "You can't, you can't pee in the pool," or whatever it may be. We're drawing upon our parent. Um, they are often complementary. Um, some often the transaction follows along a very predictable course that that does not upset any any situation. Parent instructs the child; the child obeys. Um, but uh, where the problem comes in, as Burn mentions it here, is when, for example, the child doesn't obey. Uh, Non-complementary transactions he actually calls cross transactions. The cross transactions are transactions that. The ones which have caused and have always have caused most of the social difficulties in the world, whether in marriage, love, friendship or work. So I guess it, it really would be in our interest to find out what these cross transactions are, how they happen and especially look at some examples of them. And pretty much the book goes on in his talk about games to, to enumerate many many different such examples of these cross transactions that happen and in fact it would be it wouldn't be drawing too much of a bow to say that these cross transactions are really another way of saying the games that we play so let's just move on to these games um, just after this quick swamp cart you are on the swamp here with Russ without Rui be back in a sec Anyway, let's give this thing a whirl. Give it a whirl. So you're about to my, my, carry on with Lisa Caron? No, Leslie, you never get it right, do you? Leslie Caron. In fact, I'm not going to carry on with Leslie Caron because I'm going to... Where's the bloody... Carry on with... No, um... The Swamp? Okay, we're, we're back with Russ on The Swamp and uh, I'm going to try and expound upon... Eric Burns' concept of games here in his book Games People Play. Now, games is really where the, the action begins, where where uh, things get kind of serious. I'll, I'll read a brief. In fact, the the, the opening a couple of sentences where he defines games. Um, a game is an un- ongoing series of complementary ulterior transactions progressing to a well-defined, predictable outcome. Descriptively, it is a recurring set of transactions, often repetitious with a concealed motivation, or more colloquially, a series of moves with a snare or a gimmick. Okay, that's really important, um, the whole idea that this that, that games have some ulterior motive, There's some, something in what, where we have an agenda perhaps. Maybe we don't even know the agenda, um, but it's there, um, and that's the start of Burns' description of what he means by games. Then we move on to lots and lots of basically psychobabble, which um, isn't really going to help uh, my my discourse here. So I'm going to go straight to just some examples of the sort of games he talks about. 
um, some of the the ideas of what he calls games are kind of interesting. And one one game he calls alcoholic, and he really means that. I mean, people who are alcoholics themselves are playing a kind of game. Um, and there are others as well. It's quite interesting. Um, I'll read here um, the possible seriousness of games and play, and the the possibly serious results are well known to anthropologists. The most complex game that ever existed, that of courtier, was deadly serious. The grimmest of all, of course, is war. Um, so that gives you an idea of just how far he could go with this. Um, now, Byrne goes on throughout the, the rest of the book. He pretty much gives you lots and lots of examples of games, and he structures the book um, under what he calls a thesaurus of games. Um, the first section is what he calls life games, and some examples would be alcoholic, debtor, kick me, now I've got you, you son of a bitch, and see what you made me do. Uh, the next section is marital games. Um, and moving on from marital games, we get to party games, and then, interestingly, sexual games, and then what he calls underworld games, um, and then consulting room games, and then finally what he calls good games. Um, and there's a final chapter, Beyond Games. Um, and that's how the, how the rest of the book is structured. As you might have noticed from that brief description there, um, some of the, the games terms that Byrne uses are, are fairly unusual, um, somewhat whimsical even. Um, I'll get you, you son of a bitch. Um, and it's one of the obstacles, I think, for readers when they, they read this book. The, sort of, the terms that he comes up with uh, seem a bit strange, a bit funny, not very serious even. Um, but obviously they're a shorthand for what he's actually talking about. And uh, he actually explains that in a section here under colloquialism. He calls them colloquialisms. Uh, many colloquialisms used here were supplied by patients. All of them, if used with due regard to timing and sensibilities, are appreciated understood and enjoyed by the players if some of them seem disrespectful the irony is directed against the games and not against the people who play them the first requirement for colloquialisms is aptness and if they are often sound amusing that is precisely because they hit the nail on the head so we prefer playing for example ain't it awful to verbalizing projected anal aggression the former not only has a more dynamic meaning and impact, but it is actually more precise. And sometimes people get better faster in bright rooms than they do in drab ones. <laughs> okay, let's start. Um, a good example of a, of a game that um, Byrne talks about here to begin with um, it comes from uh, under the chapter Life Games, uh, the first life game that Byrne um, labels is one called, which is mentioned before, alcoholic, um, which is a particularly significant one. He goes into it in a lot of detail, detail, and it makes a good example for the idea of what games are, um, because he does go into it in quite detail with alcoholic. Um, and alcoholic, you know, as he, he labels there, it's, it can be a life game. It can be a game that people play for their entire lives, and it can be quite, obviously, quite tragic. Um, now, we know of alcoholics as being people who are addicted to alcohol and just can't stop drinking. Um, Byrne makes the disclaimer, um, I'll quote here, if a bio biochemical or psychological abnormality is the prime mover in excessive drinking, and that is still open to some question, then its study belongs in the field of internal medicine. Game analysis is interested in something quite different, the kinds of social transactions that are related to such excesses, hence the game, alcoholic. So he's, he's saying there basically that when he means alcoholic, he doesn't necessarily mean the type of alcoholic who um, has a physical abnormality. Um, it's more an emotional or psychological abnormality that, that's coming out of this. This is the difference he makes. Okay, um, and going on... Uh, um, he talks about it being a five-handed game. And what he means by that is that there's more than one or two roles being played in the game. Normally, most games have two roles, usually like the central role, who is the person who is playing the game, and then there's what's called the supportive role, the person who is being played against, usually. In fact, he, he labels the supporting role the persecutor, who is typically played by a member of the opposite sex, usually the spouse. The third role is that of a rescuer, usually played by someone of the same sex, often the good family doctor who is interested in the patient and also in drinking problems. In the classical situation, the doctor successfully rescues the alcoholic from his habit. 
after the alcoholic has not taken a drink for six months, they congratulate each other. The following day, the alcoholic is found in the gutter. (laughs) The fourth role is that of the patsy or dummy. In literature, this is played by the delicatessen man who extends credit to the alcoholic, gives him a sandwich on the cuff and perhaps a cup of coffee without either persecuting him or trying to rescue him. The ancillary professional in all drinking games is the bartender or liquor clerk. In the game Alcoholic, he plays the fifth role, the connection, the direct source of supply who also understands alcoholic talk and who, in a way, is the most meaningful person in the life of any addict. So that's the five roles that can be played within the game of Alcoholic. Um, Central role, the persecutor, the rescuer, the patsy or dummy, and the connection and um then burn goes to talk about the payoff why do alcoholics do what they do uh, um and it gets a little controversial for me here um the psychological reason for why people play games in this case um for the alcoholic he, he suggests that it's the hangover i'll read here for the alcoholic that a hangover is not as much the physical pain as the psychological torment so that is the reason and that and from there we we go to alcoholics anonymous and and there's quite a long section about that and it's worth thinking about really and of course you can argue against that or for it um <clears throat> sometimes the ways of psychologists um do do puzzle me or the, the ways of the brain puzzle me as well and i guess that's the, the psychologist or psychiatrist's job to to uncover that so i guess at the, in the end we need to take that on on faith but it's obviously a very important aspect of games and game analysis the reason why we play our games and that's alcoholic i'll move on to the next one after this short cart Hi, you've got Russ here on the Swamp, still talking about the Eric Byrne book, Games People Play. I hope you're still with me. And the next game I'd like to talk about here from Eric Byrne's book is Blemish. Um, Blemish is simply the idea that uh, there are people who play games by finding fault in others, basically, is the basic game there. And it is a game, um, and I'm sure we've all met these people, always looking to, to find something wrong with others, uh, maybe someone's... I mean, it can obviously have its... It can go from trivial things like um, someone doesn't follow the same football team or, or it doesn't like the same kind of cars to more serious things like a racist attitude, perhaps. Someone's not just not the right skin colour or, or maybe someone isn't in the right socioeconomic... Um, grouping for them for their liking um something like that and that's a game that that um burn is suggesting people play and he calls it blemish um and he suggests that of the reasons why uh, this happens uh, maybe to ward off depression um it may be um to avoid um having one's own blemishes or or faults found as in the best defense is a good offense perhaps but it can get really, really serious. Burns suggests here in its hardest form it may become a totalitarian political game played by authoritarian personalities. And then it may have serious historical repercussions. Um, hello, Donald Trump, I guess. Um, so that one's blemish. The next one is particularly interesting to me. It's called Schlemiel. S-C-H-L-E-M-I-E-L. Now, it's a name you might have heard before from that old TV show, Laverne and Shirley. Let's have a listen. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, Schlemiel. Schlemiel. Hassan's Incorporated. So, yeah, Schlemiel. And, and basically what it means is um, someone who is a klutz, someone who's um, clumsy, uh, always knocking things over. Uh, the classic sort of film Schlemiel I guess would have been someone like Jerry Lewis and those Jerry Lewis films it probably goes even back to the early silent movies obviously fertile ground for things like um for slapstick comedy but it has its own psychological form in the Schlemiel who's always doing this and the reason why the Schlemiel is always doing this apparently in the psychological reading is that um they basically want um, forgiveness. Uh, they they want to be able to say sorry so that someone can forgive them. 
And Byrne suggests that um, to break them of this habit, the best way to go about it is not to forgive them. That's what he calls the antithesis for the schlemiel. Don't offer them absolution. <laughs> it's interesting to me. I, I know a number of people who seem to be schlemiels. I never really thought of them that way. I just thought of them as people who just seem to... Um, be serial apologists they're always saying sorry and uh, um, I always wonder why because uh, sometimes it would be the most trivial reason sometimes it wouldn't be so trivial sometimes it'd be annoying and uh, I guess my take on that was always simply if, rather than say sorry why don't you just not do the thing that requires you to say sorry but that's the schlemiel schlemiel schlemazel and another game and I might make this the final one because times are wasting it's a game called why don't you yes but and uh, the whole idea behind this game is simply that you present a problem and you're looking for solutions here's some examples from the book my husband always insists on doing our own repairs and he never builds anything right the response being why doesn't he take a course in carpentry Yes, but he doesn't have time. Why don't you buy him some good tools? Yes, but he doesn't know how to use them. Why don't you have your building done by a carpenter? Yes, but that would cost too much, and so on. Um, and it's a game that um, I confess I've probably played myself, um, confronted with, with friends, concerned about things in my life, um, or maybe things that I voice like um, like the need to get a good job, for example, and then you'll get a hundred different um, suggestions fired back at you, all of which you reject in the end. And I guess in Burns' psychological scheme of things and, and roles, um, all these helpful people are what we might call rescuers. Um, but um, basically, in the end, if, if you don't want rescuing, um, that's not going to happen. And Burns suggests that uh, the reason why um, this game is played, why you would want to seek solutions and, and then reject them all, according to Burns, since the solutions are, with rare exceptions, rejected, it is apparent that this game must serve some ulterior purpose. It's not played for its ostensible purpose, but to reassure and gratify the child. Um, okay, well, that sounds good. That could be maybe what's going on there when I play the game. Um, certainly, I know I'm very much in touch with my inner child, maybe too much to a degree. Um, but I also think there are other things involved. I think there's also, a, for me, a loss of, or the acceptance of a loss of control or the justification that... I don't have a lot of control, and, and in a sense that that's not my fault. It's like it's like transferring blame to um, to society, perhaps in another way, and have it confirmed by these sage parents that not even they can uh, come up with a solution for me. Which is why I'm always seeking, you know, um, to reject their responses. Sometimes, as Bernd would say, I could play fair and accept the suggestions, and I like to think that I do. I like to listen to people, and I do take what they say seriously. But, you know, maybe maybe there's something else going on there that's um, close to what Byrne's talking about there. But it's interesting, I think, very interesting. And, um, reading this book has got me thinking about all that, about what sort of other games do I play? What what are the, what my most important game? And I guess the most important game I think I play is simply that um, I am basically a big pop culture nerd. It's pretty obvious by this this um, podcast and by um, these, this warm blog I adore pop culture and uh, and it gives me intense pleasure to uh, read and talk about it and, and tell people other people about it and uh, maybe that's a game that I'm playing there that I get a lot of emotional support and sustenance from um, and I'm not sure if there's, there needs to be an antithesis to that I don't see anything wrong with it I don't think I need to stop doing it um, not, not hurting anyone hopefully what I'm doing is playing what Byrne calls a good game um, and uh, I'd like to just mention one game that's in there that um, sparks a note of rec recognition for me it's called Homely Sage the thesis is um, that this is probably that a well-educated and sophisticated man learns as much as he can about all sorts of things besides his own business. When he reaches retirement age, he moves from the big city where he held a responsible position to a small town. There it soon becomes known that people can go to him with their problems of whatever kind, from a knock in the engine to a senile relative, and that he will help them himself if he is competent or else refer them to qualified experts. Thus, he soon finds his place in his new environment as a homely sage, making no pretenses, but always willing to listen. 
And its best form, it is played by people who have taken the trouble to go to a psychiatrist to examine their motives and to learn what errors to avoid before setting themselves up in this role. I think that could be a very good thing to be. Um, and at the end of the book, um, I'll, I'll give the final word on this to Burn. The end of the book, a final section after Games What. The somber picture presented in this book in which human life is mainly a process of filling in time until the arrival of death or Santa Claus, with very little choice, if any, of what kind of business one is going to transact during the long wait, is a commonplace but not the final answer. For certain fortunate people there is something which transcends all classifications of behaviour, and that is awareness, something which rises above the programming of the past, and that is spontaneity, and something that is more rewarding than games, and that is intimacy. But all three of these may be frightening and even perilous to the unprepared. Perhaps they are better off as they are, seeking their solutions in popular techniques of social action such as togetherness. This may mean that there is no hope for the human race, but there is hope for individual members of it. Okay, on that note, let's hear that song, Games People Play. with Russ on the Swamp and uh, I've just been talking a lot about that book 
Now we're going to talk about Joe South, musician, born in Georgia. Um, obviously, he wrote the song Games People Play, a song that I recall being sung by numerous Australian artists back in the, the late 60s, 1970s on TV. There was something about the song that made people feel very groovy when they were singing it. they do these groovy moves and... Uh, they go talking about you and me, ooh, and the games people play. And uh, why not? It was a fun song, a good melody, really good lyrics, um, and it deserved to be um, get a Grammy, two Grammy awards, one for the song of the year and uh, for the contemporary song of the year, I guess. Um, but but it wasn't all that that Joe was about. He was for a long time a session musician as well as songwriter. He played alongside a number of people. He played on Aretha Franklin's Chain of Fools and and Bob Dylan's Blonde on Blonde album. Uh, he's apparently appears in that Tommy Rowe song, Sheila. He was on Simon Garfunkel's second album, Sound of Silence, though apparently not on the title track. And he did a lot of wrote a lot of songs. And uh, when, when he got games people play, um, when he made that, which appeared on his first album, which was originally called Retrospect. Um, it got renamed to be Games People Play, I guess to make it a bit more commercial sounding. An album I actually have. Um, and he went on to have a reasonably successful solo career. After the, the initial success of the 1960s and early 70s, he seemed to drop away a bit. Um, his brother, Tommy, died in um, 1971 of suicide. He was actually a drummer in... in Joe's bands and that apparently uh, caused him to become clinically depressed um, the albums that followed weren't big sellers weren't big hits and I guess you know anyway his career sort of dropped away but um, I have some of those albums that he that he produced especially in the 70s there um, Midnight Rainbows and uh, I Look Inside and uh, they've got some great songs on them and it's all, definitely worth your while to check out any Joe South stuff especially in any compilations that you can find uh, you'll, you won't be disappointed Joe died in 2012 uh, in Georgia and that's really all there is to say about him other than that he did, did write a slew of great songs and uh, that were recorded by a number of popular artists and that were actually quite big hits some of them and I'm going to finish this section by uh, by playing some of these hits for you. I'm not going to tell you what they were until I've played them. So you can maybe see if you can identify them as we go along. Um, so here comes a big bracket here now of Joe South songs on the swamp. Enjoy. <laughs> Oh! 
sat and all alone You didn't have anyone That you could call your own I knew you would Your heart belonged to only me But that was many tears ago Now your love is just a memory
There's gotta be a little rain sometime When you take you gotta give So live and let live or let go I beg your pardon I never promised you a rose garden I could promise you things like big diamond rings But you don't find roses growing on stalks of clover So you better think it over Well, if sweet talking you could make it come true I would give you the world right now on a silver platter So smile for a while and let's be jolly Love shouldn't be so melancholy Come along and share the good times while we can I beg your pardon I never promised you a rose garden Along with the sunshine There's gotta be a little rain sometime Pardon. I never promised you a rose garden I could sing you a tune and promise you the moon But if that's what it takes to hold you I'd just as soon let you go But there's one thing I want you to know You better look before your leap still waters run deep And there won't always be someone there
All right, let me finish up now. Um, we just heard a whole bunch of Joe South tunes there, and guess what? Rui is back. Yes, yes, after having a very long, very long chuffa and a very large spliff or something or other, you sound you look um, a bit more I'm, mellow. I'm all the better for it, Russ. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we heard a whole bunch of Joe South songs there. Uh, let me back announce, um, I think we started with Billy Joe Royals, um, Down in the Boondocks, sounding very much like uh, Gene Pitney, and then I think there was some Linda Ronstadt, um, I Knew You When. I knew you were. Yeah, that's the one. And um, there's also Hush, Somebody's Image, as sung by uh, Russell Morris. Uh, what hush, else? Hush, oh, <laughs> Stop it, stop it. You're driving me crazy. Um, okay, let's try this one then. I Never Promised You a Rose Garden. I Never Promised You a Rose Garden. By Lynn Anderson, I do believe. And then the man himself, Joe South, doing uh, Walk a Mile in My Shoes. And... You want to try that one? No. You don't know that one? Well, actually, Elvis did a version of that one. Um, but believe it or not, he wrote all those songs, every one of them. Yeah, what a no, talented man. What an extraordinary um, a songwriter. What an amazing uh, contribution to the lexicon. It is indeed, yes. Um, and so this pretty much wraps us up to, for another week with the Swamp. You have got Ross. Uh, this was Rui. We look forward to talking to you next week. No, 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 no. Well, well, yes, or something like that. But uh, keep going because um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, we're gonna play it out with with one more final. Oh, and what, what are you gonna wrap it up with, Russ? Yeah, we're gonna finish off with children, which I think would be appropriate since we started this whole shebang with um, that amazing book by Eric Byrne, um, "Games People Play." One of those ego states that I talk about with the child, and I'm pretty sure Joe's accessed that child and written a song about it. Children, large lonely children. So thank you, Joy, and enjoy. Yeah, so children. Young every children. Children need someone to Thank you.